Welcome back to the Amplified Word, brought to you by Christ Episcopal Church in Dayton, Ohio. It's a conversation and a deeper look at the lessons for the upcoming Sunday from the Women's Lectionary by Will Gaffney. We invite you to come along as we lift up the women of the Word. Today's lessons are for the Feast of Epiphany, which is traditionally celebrated on January 6th, 12 days after the Feast of Christmas. Our readings come from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6 and 11, Psalm 67, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Isaiah says today, Arise, shine, for your light has come. It is this light which has been foretold throughout generations, a light which was promised to God's people, a light which the Magi, the three wise men in today's gospel, have followed in search of the new Messiah, born in a manger, and they worship him and offer him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Today's lessons tell of this promise and of this revelation of God working in our world to save us. Welcome everyone to this week's session of the Amplified Word. I'm the Reverend Peter Holmeyer, the rector here at Christ Episcopal Church. And I'm Mary Jane Plody, the program's assistant. Welcome back. And today we've got the beginning of a new season in the Yay. church here. <laughs> it doesn't follow the seasons necessarily of, uh, as we think of them on the earth where, where the climate changes, but it does change themes and ways yeah. that we understand or can see God's uh, revelation in the world. Yeah, it's a season of being I think, you know, mm. the, the church calendar is structured in a way that helps us move through life and understand how we're experiencing different things. Um, and so as we move into this new season out of Christmas, um, it's there's a certain sense of hope that I think we can carry into each new season. So I'm ever the optimist over here with the new liturgical season. And this season is Epiphany, and um, just to build a little bit on what you were saying, Mary Jane, and then we'll talk about how these lessons, this is the first Sunday of Epiphany season, so it's also known as Epiphany Sunday because it's sort of the crown of the season to give you yeah, a sense yeah. of what it's about. But um, this season of Epiphany is built around the story of the wise men coming to see the baby Jesus yep. while he's still in the manger. That story's found in the beginning of the book of Matthew, mm -hmm. second chapter. And probably most of us are familiar with sort of the outline of it, at least, that there's the star and that there's these right. magi who follow it and that they go to King Herod and try to get some direction <laughs> from Herod. And that's, doesn't uh, quite go as expected. 
you get about as much direction as uh, you typically get out of authoritarian dictators, which is to say, unless it's something they're already interested in, not much. Right. And then the visiting of the baby, the giving of the gifts, and they're traveling home mm -hmm. by another way. Yes. But the season of Epiphany is about more than just this one event. And I think that it's worth, I feel like it's worth just acknowledging that the seasons, we often think of the seasons as sort of being individually separate from each other, maybe sort mm. of the silo of the season of fall, how it's different than summer. Right. To use the most common examples that we have are spring, mm -hmm. how it's different than winter. Mm -hmm. But each of them really has times of transition and each builds on the other as well. Yes. Yeah. So while the epiphany is a new season, it is a season about the revelation, the manifestation, the breakthrough of new understanding mm -hmm. and ways of being, which can only happen when we encounter God revealed in a baby who's right. come among us. Yeah, and these are stories that we get in Epiphany, particularly this one, that's often lumped into a Christmas pageant. You know, when you think about churches who put on a Christmas play or pageant of some kind, you've got shepherds and three little kids dressed up as the wise men, right? So this is a story that we we know as part of the birth of Christ, which is Christmas. But yet this launches us into a deeper understanding of God in our world and of what this means and uh, what that's going to take us forward in uh, for the rest of the season. And, you know, I don't want to jump ahead here, but at the end of Epiphany, you get to Lent. So uh, this is really like a bridge, I think, the season of Epiphany is between Christ coming into the world, born as a little baby, and Christ preparing to leave the world um, at the end of Lent with the crucifixion on Good Friday. This is sort of like this bridge. Right. Yes. And, you know, of course, we have this for our, for our, for our pageants. I mean, who doesn't want to have the wise men there? They're as well? great. Yeah, absolutely. They're wonderful. But it is part of the bridge can even be seen in the text and in a way that we don't tend to see it represented mm. in the way we uh, read it or then we present it with children's uh, nativities, you know, skits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because one of the things that's interesting here is this text does not actually name this as a baby. Yeah. The wise men have We're actually really not sure. We really aren't sure at all. As a matter of fact, you may want to check the reading by Gaffney yourself. But when they finally get around to the wise men arriving, the word that is used for the child is child, mm -hmm. Jesus. It's no longer infant. Does that mean Jesus is an infant? Isn't an infant? We can't be sure. But what we can be sure of is that the epiphanies, as we also tend to experience them in our own lives, are events that are more malleable. They take time. Yes. God's part of the leavening that happens mm -hmm. in th something being new to us, being able to see it in another way, happens through repeat exposure and over time, which in a physical form might look like the development of a small infant into mm -hmm. a child. Right, right. Yeah, it, 
it's helpful, what you're saying here, Peter, has reminded me that it's helpful to think of this as existing outside of time. Epiphany, yes, happens in particular moments and particular ways, but there's no timeline for it. We experience right. epiphanies in our everyday life. We experience epiphanies in the church world um, over time. You know, the, the fact that you have Old Testament scriptures which talk about uh, the Savior coming into the world and the Messiah and all of that, that doesn't come to fruition until much, much, much later, centuries later with the birth of Jesus. And we won't understand exactly what this is for you know, so many more years after Jesus is born. It, it takes time. We have to live in it. We have to unpack it and process it. Um, just the same that we unpack and process things in our own life. So it, it's helpful to know that, yes, there is a moment of this is what happened on Epiphany Sunday, right? We celebrate the three kings, but that we don't know how long this took. We don't know the timeline and that it's okay. We can live in that unknown. I think about another example of this that we tend to really compress the story. You know, we like the drama of the moment. Oh, yeah. And certainly God is in the drama of the moment. <laughs> and I think we, I want to ask you a question here in a second about your own experiences of of your own epiphanies in life and how they do or don't fit this model mm -hmm. and how I believe that these stories are not only true because they happened, but because they show us a deeper truth of how God works in ourselves and in the world. Yeah. But here's a not an example. We don't have to necessarily be specific about our own lives, but I want to kind of get the general sense of your own experience of epiphany. Another great example is the life of Saul of Tarsus. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> we know, of course, <laughs> as Paul the Apostle. And there's this dramatic moment that, again, most folks, if you're churched at all, are familiar with, which happens in the book of Acts, where Paul is on, Saul is on his way to Damascus to, you know, really root out those pesky early Christians. And he's struck to the ground and he hears the <laughs> voice of God and he's blinded. And he goes and he has a man come to him and he's baptized. And that's right. incredible. And there's an epiphany, there's a change yes. that happens in there about how Saul is able to see that God is speaking through these people his whom he saw as outsiders. Oh, yeah, and a problem. And a problem. <laughs> people who were a problem. But before he could get there, it isn't just the one moment Saul of Tarsus had spent his life, the text is very clear, carefully mm -hmm. engaging with scripture. Yes. Had spent his time on the inside of the institution of God's revelation, known at that time and in that place among the people who were Jews. Mm -hmm. And through direct life experiences on the ground, maybe making choices that turned out not to be for the best, yeah. But gathering information, data, and life experience, and it is only through that part of the glacier, excuse me, the iceberg that's under the water, that you can have this moment that yeah. shines through. All of those little pieces that add up. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
It is. That's something. And what we'd like to talk to you about today, once we come back from our break, is how we see specific examples of those pieces that are the part of the iceberg under the water mm -hmm. that we believe Dr. Gaffney is helping us to bring to light, which is one of the aspects of the season of mm -hmm. Epiphany, so that all of us can continue to participate in God's revelation to the world, to ourselves, and to each other. All right, so we're gonna dive right into the text. And as we're doing that, Peter, I have a question for you, something to just hold on to as we take a look at this and, and what Gaffney has compiled for us and translated for us. But the question I have is, whose epiphany is worth more? Oh, okay. So on Christmas, um, which we, we don't have a podcast episode about, but you can always find the readings for those. On Christmas, we hear about shepherds who make their way to Bethlehem. Sure. Um, today on Epiphany Sunday, we hear about the wise men. In a few weeks, we'll hear from Simeon and Anna with the presentation and their own revelation and epiphany. And of course, we've heard back in December, we heard in the Song of Mary, her own epiphany about what is going on. And I guess I'm wondering whose epiphany matters most? Which one is worth more? And how have we allocated that? How right. have we designated which one is more valuable than right. others? So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it's a wonderful question and you're gonna make a wonderful seminarian. <laughs> this question really is kind of leading to a specific sort of answer. I think everybody would be really surprised if I said, well, there are specific voices and you already know what Absolutely. they are. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that you're striking at, and, and I think I'm really excited about that this is a big part of what the project for this year is mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. It isn't about devaluing voices which have already been heard. Yes. As much as it is lifting up voices. This is why we're calling this the amplified word mm -hmm. that haven't had their moment to really be fully heard in the text. And all the examples that you give, which aren't from necessarily this Sunday, but they tie into this theme. Mm -hmm. And that theme is about recognizing all of the other folks who God is speaking to in story. Yes. And then that matters because it's giving us an invitation to hear the voice of God in those around us. And not only from all the traditional voices where we would expect to hear them. Yes. There's like a barrier 
that I think Gaffney is breaking down here and allowing us to explore other perspectives, other voices throughout the, the entire lectionary. Um, but with regard to Epiphany, it's, it strikes me as a very powerful moment of uh, lifting up a voice we might not otherwise hear from. Yeah, one of the easy ways or one of the most straightforward ways that Gaffney does this that can be quite jarring but really help make the point is we see that in the reading from Isaiah this Sunday. And we actually saw Gaffney do this during Advent with another Isaiah text. And what she's doing is actually very good translation mm -hmm. because what she's doing is you, what you see in there is a lot of language where it's talking about it's personifying the city of Jerusalem, but the personification of Jerusalem in the original language is feminized. Yes. But in our world where we have intentionally and unintentionally suppressed some of those voices, that's been um, taken out of the text. Mm -hmm. And it's been returned here to help us recognize how much of a call there is for the divine feminine mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Something which the early church patriarchs, fathers, didn't really, well, they, they weren't attuned to it would be the nicest way <laughs> I could say that. That is a very nice charitable way for you to address that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of power in just seeing the word daughter over and over and over again. And actually, when we first started to look at, um, you know, what the readings would be for Epiphany. I mean, that was months ago. Shocker. Here we are working months ahead of time in the church world. But I read this out loud and it it actually brought tears to my eyes. Mm. Um, this passage from Isaiah, you know, just being referred to as I am. I am someone's daughter. Um, and so finding myself in the text was, I didn't expect to be uh struck by that as much as I was because I had like an intellectual knowledge of like oh yes of course this is what Gaffney's doing but to actually sit there and read it and hear myself named in this text wonderful wow yeah wonderful I um and that's a big piece of what her work is and I think that's one of the questions that's open for me in this year's epiphany, mm -hmm. this year's season of epiphany, this year's readings, which are for those whose voices have been muted, not amplified, what does an epiphany look like? What would they want to tell us about an experience of God that might be in parallel or similar to what we've mm -hmm. heard before, but also might lift up other sides of the challenges, the struggles, and the celebrations of entering into a revelation of a new light being cast on on our relationship to God. And one example of that that I know you've done some thinking about, and that's in this text, particularly with the visitation of the Magi, is what it must have been like for Mary mm. to have this child that is not... <laughs> just simply her own. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. I 
I am just struck by what it must be like to have to share your child with the world in this way. All of these people are coming and visiting you, you know, strangers, sure. shepherds, you know, you're just tired. You just had a baby. All these people are showing up. And if, you know, you listen to the little drummer boy song, apparently <laughs> one of them brought percussion instruments, you know, but you're sharing your child with the world because this, this is not just your son. Um, this son means something so much more to people you'll never meet. Uh, and I don't know what that was like for her. I can't even imagine what that must be like. Um, and I just, I love the line part where Mary holds these things in her heart. Of yeah. Mary is holding these things. What is she holding? Is she freaking out? Is she stressing about all these random people coming over? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. She's got to hold a lot in her heart. The sacrifices that are asked of us. And to be in relationship with God, there's no sugarcoating it, friends. It's about sacrifice. Mm -hmm. We learn through the sacrifice that we know ourselves and find deeper connection to ourselves and meaning out of it. But it is about a giving over of something that we thought could belong to us and really belongs to the world, belongs to community. Um, that what we know is those who come from positions of power or expectation we know what's asked of them and folks those folks do a good job of telling you what they've given up yes what happens traditionally and this is very classic important fundamental womanist theology is that the ones that are actually the most is asked from in this world are the voiceless yes yes they are asked to give up everything they are asked often to give up this comes out of a tradition of recognizing slave women, not only just slave yes. men, give up their children, mm -hmm. give up their freedom, give over their expectations for being able to be masters in, in the sense of controlling their own lives and their own destinies. Yes. And here in this story, we hear again the story of the epiphany. If you listen, how Mary not only has to give up her own expectations for her own life, but even her expectations of what this child will be mm. and who he will belong to. Yeah. It's such a place of privilege to be able to imagine your child and their future and not have to worry about a lot of things. I mean, parents always worry, right? You're always worried. But Mary has known from the very beginning that this child is the Messiah. And that is not a place of privilege. It might sound like it because you're like, wow, you're the mother of the son of God. That's awesome. But the risk the and the heaven, sacrifice. Yeah, all, exactly. Right. She's turned into. Right. Later. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. But as you're living through it, that is not a place of privilege. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of. Of sacrifice. Um, you know, the dream that you have for your child. It, who knows what what's going to be? Right. I don't think any mother expects that their child will be crucified. Um, but she's 
willing and uh, open to the work of God in that. And that is very powerful. I think that one of the things that we start to enter dangerous waters around this is that this can start to sound like that we're having some kind of a confirmation that it is all right to suffer in silence. Right. And there is a long history of all kinds of institutions, unfortunately, mm. especially mm. and including the church, of seeing noble silence as suffering as being next to God. And where I think these texts and this work are important are that they name that that's happened. Correct. But rather than just accept that, it asks us to listen and change mm -hmm. that. Yes. And that. Yes, that's the difference. Is an epiphany yes. the world still makes. Yeah, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Amplified Word. To learn more about the Women's Lectionary by Will Gaffney and our year-long formation programs, Women of the Word, we invite you to visit our parish website, DaytonChristEpiscopal.com.